0: Well, I want to welcome those who are at our Mill Creek campus. I want to welcome those here at our Sugarloaf campus and those who are watching online by computer. We are certainly glad to have you with us today. We are one church in two locations. We have another campus about 20 minutes to our north, and there's nothing like being there. So I want to encourage you to attend the campus that's closest to you. You know, uh, as a parent, and a lot of us are parents or one day will be, uh, teaching children the basic functions of life is part of being a parent. I mean, from the time they're born, you start teaching, you know, how to walk, how to use the toilet, how to read and write, and how to, you know, how to talk proper, how to say please, thank you, those kind of things. And you know, there are two things. You don't have to teach a child because they just come naturally, right? You don't have to teach a child to disobey. Trust me, they'll get it, okay? they'll, They'll learn, they'll learn pretty quick. And another thing you don't have to teach kids is to ask questions, And there's one particular question that begins with a three letter word. And I think universally every child always begins to learn this question. And you know what that question is, right? It's the question, why? I mean, it's amazing how early they learn to ask that question. If you go back uh, and think about it, if you're a parent and maybe your kids are now grown or if you've got young kids now, if you'll think about it, when you go back and you kind of think about the early conversations that you had with your little children, a lot of times those conversations revolved around them asking that one simple why question. You've heard, of, maybe your conversation went something like this. Okay, son, you need to take a bath. Why? Well, because you're about to go to bed. Why? Well, because you need to be rested for school tomorrow. Well, why? So you'll make good grades. Why? So you won't end up like your dad. Now go get in the tub, right? So you you, you have these questions. And 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 frankly, when the, if you're like me and I had three boys and they ask a lot of why questions, it can get very frustrating. We get sometimes weary of our kids asking why questions. I mean, we've all said this at one time or another. Don't ask why just because I said so. Now confession, to be honest, we're a little bit hypocritical because there's one thing Nobody in this room ever gets tired of doing. We all continue to ask why questions. And here are a few questions that I found that that adults still ask. I'm still asking some of these questions. For example, why does a round pizza come in a square box? I I never thought about, you know, I don't know. Why are you in a movie, but you're on TV? That's, That's strange, isn't it? You're in one, but you're on the other one. Here's another one. Why do people pay to go to the top of tall buildings and then put money in binoculars to look at things on the ground? Well, why, why, do, why do you do that? I mean, I, I don't understand. Why do you do that? Why do your feet smell, but your nose runs? That's <laughs> weird to me. Why is it the number 11 pronounced 21? You got 21, 31, 40, but one, it's, it's 11. I don't understand. Why is Charlie short for Charles, but they both contain the same number of letters? Don't get that. Don't understand it. If money doesn't grow on trees, why do banks have branches? I don't get that one. I don't, I don't know. Why does Pluto live in a doghouse and eat food, but Goofy's also a dog drives a car? I don't get that. All right. Here's one. If you're, listen, if Jimmy cracks corn and nobody cares, why is there a stupid song about it? You ever thought about that? Jimmy cracked corn and I don't care. Why sing it about it? If you don't care, why sing it? Why even have a song? I mean, I, I don't know. And there are all kinds of why questions that we adults tend to ask. But I want to ask a question that we kind of asked last week, but we didn't answer it. And I want to answer it today. And that is, why is the meaning of life so hard to find when you have a dictionary? I mean, the meaning of the word life, that's easy to find. But the meaning of life itself, that's a question that has stumped the most brilliant minds who have ever lived. That is a question that leaves the people in this world with the highest IQ and the most advanced degrees known to man still scratching their head. What is the meaning of life? We are in a series that we're calling Stumped. Because from the, beginning, from the very beginning of time, to be honest, There are four questions that have left people from philosophers to professors to teachers to moralists to psychologists to ethicists absolutely, completely, and totally stumped. Every class of people from upper to lower wonder what is the meaning of life? What about these four questions? In short, they are who? Why, what, and where? Who am I? Why am I here? What's right and what's wrong? And where do I go after I die? The four big questions. Now, in the first message we established last week, The belief that we are a creation of God. I said that the Bible answer to who we are is we are a creation in the image of God. We said last week that if you understand and believe the Bible, then you really don't believe we just accidentally happened to be here. We were put here by a sovereign creator. Now I'll tell you why we started off with that question. Why I think it is the foundational question. Once you answer the who question correctly, then all the other answers to all the other questions, in my opinion, begin to fall like dominoes because the foundational belief is who are we? If you don't get that answer right, then life becomes just one big guessing game. Your opinion is no better than mine. My opinion is no better than yours. And we will always be left wondering and trying to guess the right answer. Now, don't take my word for this. I'm not, I'm not saying this. There's an atheist from Canada, and she said this. She said, plenty of people tell me that without God, there is no meaning to life. I'm one of those. Without God, there's no meaning to life. And I disagree. Humanity is special. Now, listen to this. Not because God created us all with a special purpose, but because we didn't have to be here. Well, she's right. We didn't have to be here. But we are here. So... We're still back to the question, why are we here instead of not being here? Well, she continues, I believe humanity is special because we are sort of happy accidents. Mortality makes it special too. In other words, the fact that we're going to die, that makes it real special. We are both with a certain undesigned, undesignated amount of time to live and to create our own meaning. We find what means the most to us and strive to create a life around it. Now listen to this, I believe humanity's purpose is to look out for each other and to love each other and to ensure the species' survival. Now that sounds noble and and, and, and it sounds like, well that, that kind of makes sense, but here is still the problem. As one of my boys would have asked her as they did so often growing up, they would have said after all she just said, Yeah, but why? You still haven't answered the why question. She doesn't say because here's here's the question that she's begging. If we're just happy accidents, that's what she said. If we're just happy accidents and we just kind of happen to be here and we are mortal, and we are going to die, and according to her belief, if after we die, there's nothing left, we just go back into being nothing at all, then here's the question. She says we ought to love each other. Why? We ought to do good for each other, but why? We ought to ensure the species survival just so we'll all keep dying, why? She still doesn't answer the why, question. Now, I do want to grant this person some credibility because what she does, whether she realizes or not, she really has kind of pinpointed the three options that comes when you try to determine what the meaning of life is. There are basically three options, all right? Option one is there is no meaning. And that's what a lot of people say today. There really isn't any meaning to life. We're just here to eat, drink, be merry, have a good time, party it up, live it up, because tomorrow we're going to die. There is no meaning. That's option one. Option two is I determine my meaning. That's basically what she says. Okay? Here's the problem. What if your meaning is wrong? What if the reason why you think you're here is not the reason that you're here? And oh, if you're right, how are you gonna know it? How will you know whether or not you found the real meaning and purpose to life? There's no way to know. If you determine your own meaning. And then there's a third option. And that is, the meaning of life is given by something or someone. Higher than me. Now, here's the good news from at least a biblical perspective. There was a king, a real king. He lived about 3,000 years ago. And this king gave the biggest and the best part of his life trying to find the meaning of life. You know his name probably. His name was what? Solomon, his name was Solomon. And Solomon pulled out all the stops trying to find meaning in every single avenue that a human could possibly take. He tried it all. He tried fame. He tried fortune. He tried power. He tried position. He tried education. He tried experimentation. And everything was a dead-end street. And here's the amazing thing. Having owned the world's greatest jewels, having built the world's greatest temple, having ruled over the world's greatest kingdom, He finally found the buried treasure of the meaning of life, and he wrote a book to describe the journey of how he finally landed at the right destination. He wrote a book telling us how he finally found the key that unlocked the right door, that unlocked the secret to the meaning of life. So if you brought a copy of God's Word, or you got a smartphone or an iPad or whatever you might use, I want you to turn to a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. It's it's not really too hard to find. It's right almost in the middle of of most Bibles. It's right after Psalms and Proverbs, right in there. It's in the Old Testament. I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And here's what he does. He does us a big favor. You can actually skip the first 11 chapters and go right to the 12th chapter because what he does toward the end of the book is he gives us the Cliff Notes version of the meaning of life. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Solomon tells us if you never have position or power, If you never have fame or fortune, if you never have silver or gold, but you know one thing and you do one thing, you will find the reason why you are here. You will live a life with purpose and meaning that will not only outlast your physical life, it will last out your eternal life. He unlocks for us in this little key what it really means Who we are, why we're here. Now listen to what he says. He gives this short, brief answer to to a question that books and volumes and encyclopedias have been written about only to come to the conclusion we don't know what the meaning of life is. And King Solomon raises his hand and says, I do. It's this simple. The end of the matter, that is, look, I have finally come to the end of the road. I've tried everything else. I finally found what I've been looking for. All has been heard. Here it is. Watch this. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, here's what Solomon's going to do in just this short little verse. He's going to tell us the things we need to do to find and to live out the meaning of life. So, here's what I want you to take out the door. This is so simple. You ready? Here we go. Why is the question, God is the answer? Why is the question, God is the answer? You say, hey, I'm trying to find meaning in my life. Why am I here? You're here to do three things, three simple things. He already tells us. Number one, we're here to fear God. We're here to fear God. Now, let me just stop and say this before we get started. You need to understand that the purpose of your life is greater than your life. We'll say that again. The purpose of your life is greater than your life. The purpose of your life does not revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around what you can do for you, where you can go, what you can achieve, what you can accomplish. Solomon says the purpose of your life does not revolve around you. The purpose of your life revolves around the God that made you. So let me kind of put it to you this way We were created to connect with the creator. We've been given life from God to live life with God and for God. Let me repeat that. We've been given life from God to live life with God and for God. So in other words, the meaning of life, Solomon says, revolves around the majesty of God. He says, "Okay, here's the bottom line to the to the answer of the question, why am I here?" I'm going to read it again. The end of the matter discussion's over. No more debate. No more deliberation. The end of the matter. All's been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. He uses two verbs to tell us what life is all about. Fear and keep. And I'll make it real simple. If you're kind of older you'll remember these these three words. It's a great hymn. What he basically says is the reason we have been put on this planet is to trust and obey. That's it. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. That's why everybody's here. We are to trust and obey. The place you begin, fearing God. The path you take, obeying God. The destination, eternal life with God. But it begins with two words fear God. Now, let me just stop here because you don't hear a lot about this much anymore, and I get that. King Solomon doesn't mince words. He says, you got to fear God. As a matter of fact, this is not the first time Solomon says this. Back in chapter 3, he even said that the reason why God has done everything that God has done and the reason why God does everything he's doing today is so that we will learn to fear him. Here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. Now watch this. God has done it so that people fear before him. He says everything God does, everything God is doing, everything God has done, everything God will do is so that we will learn to properly fear him. In chapter 5, verse 7, he says, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Later on, he even says, if you want to maintain balance in your life, you've got to learn how to fear God. He says this in chapter 7. Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. And if I were to ask you the question, hey, you you want your life to go well? Do you want your life to work out the way that you know you really would hope that it would work out? And you want to get the most out of life and the best out of life? You say, yes, I really do. Well, he says this in chapter 8, verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times or prolongs his life, yet I know it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. Now, before you tune me out and turn me off and say, I, I, I've heard this stuff before. I don't believe in a God you ought to be afraid of. I don't believe in a God you ought to, you ought to fear. I, I just want you to hear me out and understand what is meant by the word fear. First of all, Fear is sometimes a very healthy thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the things that you need to teach children from the time they're young, they need to learn how to fear the right things, right? Every one of us in this room with little children, one of the things you teach a child real quickly is to learn to fear touching a hot stove. You want them to learn to be afraid of that hot stove. I mean, You, 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 you want them to learn to fear snakes and, and, and not pick them up. And there is a right type of fear that children should have of their parents, That's not only good, but in the long run, it's very beneficial. For example, there are two things I always feared with my dad, always. I feared his displeasure, and I feared his discipline. And I had a healthy fear of both of those things, and here's why. I love my dad. To this day, I love my dad. and, And I wanted my dad's approval. Growing up, I was motivated. I never wanted to do anything that would displease my dad or bring dishonor to my dad. And it's not just because I feared my dad. It's not because I was afraid of him, like I'm afraid of, of, of snakes or, 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 or gators or whatever, you know, you might, might be. Well, I'm not afraid of gators, not these kind. But <laughs> I feared his displeasure. I wanted to live in such a way that it would put a smile on my dad's face, not a frown on his place, funny on his face. And it's because I love my dad, and I wanted to please my dad that I had a healthy fear of my dad, and I also feared his discipline, because a loving parent disciplines their children not to hurt them, but to help them. And I knew that if I did wrong, I would be disciplined. I was raised in that kind of home, but I'm thankful that I, that I am. And, and, and that fear kept me out of a lot of trouble. And what Solomon is saying is what, and what the Bible teaches is this. When you understand how the God that created you loves you so much, He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, that he longs to have an eternal relationship with you, that he wants to make you greater than you can ever be on your own. He wants to make you better than you can ever be on your own. You ought to have in your heart a fear of doing anything that might displease him. You ought to have a fear of doing anything that might uh, cause him to discipline you. That's why another word for fear is reverence. When he says fear God, a good word would be reverence God. Out of, a, out of a reverence for who God is, out of a reverence for what God has done for us, we ought to have this burning desire in our heart. Lord, I, I just want to always please you. I, I never want to, I never want to evo- evoke your displeasure. I, I never want to do anything that would cause you to have to discipline me. I love you that much. So let me just kind of say this and move on. If you want to know why our culture is disintegrating before our very eyes, if you want to know why we're seeing so much violence and crime in our schools and in our teenagers and in our homes and in our families like we've never been seen before, if you want to know why life means less in America today than it's ever meant in our history, there's a real easy answer. You know what, can I tell you what's really wrong in America? It's not the deficits. It's not the, the the economy. It's not all you know. It's not the 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 shrinking military. Those are all symptoms of the problem. You know what the problem is? We have totally lost the fear of God in this country. Totally lost the fear of God. There's no concept. There's no concept of the fear of God. Politicians fear public opinion more than they fear God. Students fear being unpopular more than they fear God. People fear criticism. The accusation of being intolerant or politically incorrect more than they fear God. Hey, can we just be honest? We fear cancer more than we fear God. We do. Solomon says, when you fear God correctly, when you fear God the way God should be feared, you never have to fear anything else or anyone else. And so Solomon says, here is the conclusion to the matter. You know why you've been put here? To fear God. Second reason you've been put here follow God's commands. That's why you're here, to fear God, love God, trust God, and to follow God's commands. Now let me just keep this in mind. I've we said this last week, the number one reason you and I were put on this planet and the only thing that gives meaning to life is knowing God. You can't fear what you don't know. I, I don't expect lost people to fear God. How can you fear what you don't know? You know why children will touch a hot stove if you don't teach them not to? They don't know what a hot stove will do. Do you know why a child will pick up a snake and play with it if you don't teach them not to? They don't know what a snake can do. And and they don't know better. You are put here to know God. And that's why God sent Jesus Christ to be one of us so that we could know him in a personal way. And you can only come to know God, the Bible's very clear, through having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, this is how the domino falls. Watch how this works. This will show you how Solomon knew what he was talking about. Watch this. To know God is to love God. To love God is to fear God. And to fear God is to obey God. To know God is to love God. To love God is to fear God, and to fear God is to obey God. That's why these two things are connected. Listen to what he says. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now, the order there is very important. He doesn't say keep his commandments and fear God. He says, fear God and keep his commandments. You say, well, what does it matter which comes first? Here's why. When you know God, you'll love God. When you love God, you'll reverence God. You'll fear God. You'll respect God. And when you fear God, you'll obey God. That's the way it works. You know him, and then you love him. You love him, you fear him. You fear him, you obey him. And listen, this is important. Let me tell you why this is so important. Because people get this out of whack, and they don't understand why religion will never get you to God. You ready? Watch this. You will never get to know God by obeying God. You obey God when you get to know God. You will never get to know God by obeying God. That's why you can come to church, you can give a tithe, you can get baptized, you can get in a small group, you can read your Bible, you can do all those religious things. None of those things will ever get you to knowing God. You will never, ever get to know God by obeying God. You obey God when you get to know God. I'm going to say it again. When I talk about fearing God and loving God and knowing God, fear does not mean being afraid of God the way you would fear a bully or the way you would fear an abusive parent. Let me tell you what it means. this so, so simple. This is why these two things go together. When you fear God, you'll love God. When you love God, you'll love what God loves, and you'll hate what God hates. Well, the Bible says that God loves what's good, and God hates what is evil. So when you love God and you fear God, you'll always want to do what is good. and You'll always want to avoid what is evil. So to put it another way, when you really fear God, it's real simple. It doesn't mean you're afraid of him. It doesn't mean you shake and quake in your boots, though. In a real sense, we all would because he's such a holy God. That's not what it primarily means. What it simply means is when you fear God, you will always want to do what he wants you to do. And you'll never want to do anything he doesn't want you to do. So simple, so elementary. Just it just it just is. To know God personally is to fear God correctly. To fear God correctly is to trust God completely. To trust God completely is to love God supremely. And to trust God to love God supremely. Is to obey God. That works. So when you fear God, you will keep His commandments. When you trust and obey, then the real meaning of life is simply found. I'm going to trust you today. I'm going to obey you today, and that's exactly what Solomon said. Listen to it again. He said, "Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the duty of all mankind." By the way, in the Hebrew language, that word's not there. That was supplied by the by the, by the translator. What it literally says is, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is of mankind. In other words, what he was saying was, this is the essence of life. This is the meaning of life. This is what life is all about. This is why you are here instead of not being here. You are put here to love God, trust God, and obey God, and to do what God wants you to do. This is what life is all about. This is what we were all made to do. Love God, know God, trust God, fear God, obey God. He said that is the end of the matter. And when you understand those two things, I'm to fear God, I am to fear Him, I am to follow His commands, that just naturally leads to the last step in finding the meaning of your life. And it's this. You fulfill your purpose. You fulfill your purpose. Now you've heard this before, but now it makes sense, I hope. God has a plan for your life. Now, in one sense, God's plan for everyone in this room is totally different, right? I mean, I'm I'm living out my plan right now. I'm doing what God obviously has called me to do. Most of you're you're sitting out there because this is not what God called you to do. That's fine. God's called some of you to to be a lawyer, to be a teacher, to be a professor, to drive trucks, to dig ditches. Nothing wrong with that. Everybody has a divine calling on their life. In some ways, every plan is different. Every plan is custom made. In another sense, we all have the same plan for our life. Your plan is my plan. My plan is your plan. God's plan for me and God's plan for you is is to fear Him, know Him, love Him, and obey Him. And when you follow His plan, Lord, I'm going to Fear you, trust you, know you, love you, and I'm going to obey you. Then you fulfill your purpose. Now watch this. This is going to make a lot of sense. Hopefully for some of you this morning, the light's about to come on. For some of you will be watching this live or watching on television. Or you're at our second campus. Hopefully this will make sense. The reason why there are so many people, so many, and their life is totally out of whack. They've got so many problems. They've got so many issues. They are so troubled. It's because they were created for one purpose, but they're trying to live for another purpose. For example, what would happen if you tried to bake lasagna in your clothes dryer? How would that work out for you? Or how about this? What if you filled your car up with jello instead of gasoline? Or what if you tried to eat food, your food, with a shovel and a pitchfork instead of a spoon and a knife? How about this one? What if you tried to mow your lawn with fingernail clippers? Man, I'd have big problems. Well, why would you have such big problems? Because the purpose for which something was made is being used for a totally inadequate and different purpose. Now, here's the point. No matter what else you do with your life, I don't care what else you do. I don't care how high the corporate ladder climb, climbing the, uh, 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 that you climb. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what kind of house you live in or what kind of car you drive. I don't care how many degrees you have after your name. If you miss knowing God and loving God and fearing God and obeying God, you will have missed his plan and you will have missed your purpose. You have totally missed it. By country mile, so to speak, you will have missed it. That's why, by the way, Solomon concludes with these words. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, what did he mean by that? It means more than what you just think he just said. I mean, you already know that, really, if you believe in God. But here's what he's saying. Here's how everybody's going to be judged. Same standard. You're going to be judged one simple way. Did you follow my plan for your life? And did you fulfill my purpose for your life? That's it. That's the only way God's going to judge any of us in this room. Did you follow my plan for your life? And did you fulfill my purpose for your life? And God's plan for us, we already know what it is. What is God's plan? To know him through Jesus Christ and by the power of God's Spirit to obey him and do his commands. That's God's plan for me. I want you to fear me, know me, love me, trust me, and obey me. That's it. That's what I want you to do. That's why I put you here. And once you do that, once we've fulfilled that purpose, that's how we're going to be judged. See, I've told you this before. Your life's just like money. There's only three things you can do with your life. Only three. Only three things. You can't do four, five, six, or ten. You only do three. You can waste it. You can spend it. Or you can invest it. You can spend it, waste it, or invest it. For example... You can spend your life on doing what you think is right and what you think is good. A lot of people do that. They spend their life doing what they think is right and what they think is good and what they think is noble and what they think is admirable. But Solomon says, if you don't know God, it means nothing. Or you can do what a lot of other people do, particularly in this country. You can waste your life by buying all you can, getting all you can, keeping all you can, accumulating all you can, enjoying all you can. Solomon says, but you know what? Without God, it's a waste. Or he said, you can invest your life by fearing God and keeping his commandments. And he says, what you do with your life is how you are going to be judged. Now, let me tell you the good news. Here's the good news. If you are a follower of Christ... If you really are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've come to know God through placing your faith in Jesus Christ, God's judgment is not a threat. I fear God in a a healthy, respectful way. Can I be honest? I do not fear God's judgment. So why not? Because all of our sins have been already judged by our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. God's already declared us not guilty. And when we stand before God, we're not going to be judged primarily for what we did wrong. We're going to be judged primarily for what we did right. When we stand before God, it's not going to be primarily to be rebuked. It's going to be primarily to be rewarded. According to how the fear of God and the obedience of God controlled our life. So if you truly know God through Jesus, if your life is really marked by a healthy, holy fear of him, a deep, reverent love for him, a passionate, compassion for him, a grateful humble obedience of him you do not have to dread God's judgment, you should look forward to it that's if you know Jesus that's if you have learned to fear God, know God, trust God, love God and obey God through a personal relationship with him and through having his spirit to enable you to do what he has called you to do but what if you haven't In 1991, there was a TV show that uh, premiered on Dutch television. It was a series. It was called Number, N-U-M-M-E-R, Number 28, 1991. It made history. You know why? It was the first show ever aired on television that brought together total strangers and recorded their real-life interactions. It documented unscripted real-life situations, and it featured an otherwise unknown cast. In other words, there were people in the show nobody had ever heard of. It is now known as the forerunner of what we now call reality TV, reality television, which exploded as a phenomenon in the late 1990s and the early 2000s. And it had global success with series like some of us know and have watched, Survivor, Idols, Big Brother, they were all reality television. They became global franchises. Almost every country in the world now that has any kind of access to television, they have their own versions of reality TV. It's now become a fixture of television programming. You can always count on it. Two or three of the top ten most, most popular TV programs in America right now will be something along the lines of reality TV. As a matter of fact, there are certain channels now that have retooled themselves and they're focused exclusively on reality television. MTV is one of them. When MTV started back in, the, in, the, in, in 1981, it was simply all about music videos. Now it's almost an entire reality TV format. So why, why do you tell me that? Well, I got some news for you. From the time you are born, Believe it or not, you are the star of your own reality show. Every day of your life, from the time you draw your first breath until you draw your last breath, you know what? God's watching you. God is recording you. God's got it all on his master tape. He sees everything, hears everything, he knows everything. And he's not just watching. He's waiting to see Are you going to fear me, love me, trust me, worship me, obey me? Are you going to discover the only real meaning and purpose of your life? Because that purpose is to know me through my son Jesus Christ, to love me the way Jesus has loved you, and to fear me as the holy God that deserves to be feared and to obey my commands. Because that is the essence of life for everyone and what this wise king tells us after having already done his homework for us is he came to the end of the whole matter and he said I finally found what I'm looking for there's only one way to live only one and that is to live fearing God knowing God Trusting God, worshiping God, and obeying God. That's the only way to live. And it's so elementary. Let's pray together.